Hello and welcome to the AJ on the Line podcast. My name is Adam and we are here with podcast legend and Formula One and sport in general analyst Joe. I'm not saying his second name because he likes to keep his identity as on the down low as one can. How are you doing, Joe? Well, I have just been described as a Formula One legend. Um... I've not yet. I didn't call you a Formula One legend. I called you a podcast legend. Oh, right. Well, if only it was a Formula (laughs) One legend. Legend of Rednall go-kart track. He once set a good lap there. Which which means that you're more than qualified to talk about the following subjects. We're going to discuss the Japanese Grand Prix that happened at the weekend. Uh, We're going to discuss the fact that we have a new Formula One world champion. A new double world champion. A double world champion that came after a seventh world title for a person for the second time in 20 years. Anyway, that that was a snappy statistic that I just gave everyone there. So yeah, we'll discuss that and we will discuss the incompetence of the FIA. Um, Yeah, so they they nearly tried to kill a driver and there's quite a lot riding on a decision that they're about to make. So yeah. I'm not going to give my opinions away too much because we want to hear yours as well, Joe. Let's talk about that Japanese Grand Prix. What are we rating it quickly? Oh, blimey. Um, Well, the actual bit of racing was probably about a 7 out of 10. It was quite good, but obviously the, uh, the fact that it was quite a bit shorter than a normal race and the fact that we had to wait so long for it probably brings it down to about a 4 or 5, doesn't it? But in terms of the actual bit of racing, we got a seven. Okay, so let's let's do a quick no breaks then, just to to make sure we know everyone's up to date on what happened. Um, I will begin this time for once. Go for it. I, to be honest, it was so short. I expect you to be able to get through the whole race. Oh, that's a challenge. He's thrown down there. So first of all, Joe and I woke up five minutes before the race in the beds next to each other. This was this was a cute moment, and <laughs> we waited for the start of the race. It was wet, as we'd expected. It was almost tycoon-sort conditions that we've seen a few times over the last decade at Suzuka, which is a brilliant track, by the way. Anyway, the race got underway, and Max Verstappen led away, followed by... Oh, I know who it is. I just paused too long and that was painful, Joe. Followed by Charles Leclerc. Halfway around the first lap, however, Carlos Sainz had a moment, aquaplaned, because the drivers were essentially starting on the wrong tyre by most accounts. They were starting on the intermediates. Carlos Sainz had his crash. Alex Albon also had a moment. And Pierre Gasly also got a bit of barrier stuck on his car. Now, this is where controversy comes in under the red flag or was it a red flag yet we don't fully know there was a tractor on the track that Pierre Gasly whizzed past not great however the race was red flagged for about two hours they tried to get it underway a couple of times within those two hours however the conditions just weren't good enough for the FIA to deem it safe to race or the race directors to deem it safe to race. However, eventually, with about 50 minutes left on the race clock, we finally got underway behind the safety car, which, to be honest, they should have done a while ago. They got away, and Max Verstappen blitzed off into the distance. 
Yeah, he created half a minute of lead by the end of the 45-minute sprint race that we did eventually have. But further back, Leclerc did follow Verstappen initially, however, started to drop back with poor tyres or poor tyre management that the Ferrari has had all season. But let's not get too bogged down by that because it was initially interesting as they all started on full wet tyres, but within laps they needed to pit for intermediate tyres, which were faster on that drying circuit as the cars paved away and got rid of the water. I think it's 50 litres per second that those full wet tyres can clear. The statistic that we always hear whenever the, the full wet tyres come out. Anyway, Alonso and Mick Schumacher were some of the ones that stayed out on the wet tyres, hoping conditions would become worse, but eventually they would admit defeat and go for the intermediate tyres too. To drop back, Fernando Alonso saying Alpine got the decisions wrong at all times during the race. Not one to mince his words, the Spaniard. I tell you what though, Sebastian Vettel, who had qualified fairly well, he was in the top 10, he had a moment with Alonso in the initial start back at 6 o'clock, two hours before this race, and it meant he had nothing to lose, so he pitted early for the intermediates, as did Nicolas Latifi. And both of them would end up finishing in the top 10. So brilliant performances from them. Vettel quite emotional about being at Suzuka for the last time. Given that it's the location that he won his second world championship. And everyone just loves driving around Suzuka to be fair. Nicholas Latifi scoring his first points of the season. A shot in the arm for him. Yes, but it's not really going to give him a chance in another team you wouldn't think in Formula 1. Not next year, at least. Uh, oh, I'll, let, I'll let Joe take over. So the race began to settle down a bit with no more pit stops really expected unless there was a huge weather change. There were three main sort of points of interest, I'd say, throughout the sort of 40 minutes on Inters that we got. First off, Fernando Alonso and George Russell fighting their way through the field. They managed to get back up to 7th and 8th from quite low down. Second was a sort of half an hour long battle between Lewis Hamilton and Esteban Ocon. Lewis Hamilton clearly in the faster car, but just not faster down the straights and with such tricky conditions offline it's so difficult to sort of send one for an overtake and Esteban Ocon just sort of positioned his car brilliantly on the racing line to keep Lewis Hamilton behind for so many laps and then sort of developing throughout the race you could just see Sergio Perez getting closer and closer to Charles Leclerc as Charles Leclerc's tyres went off and finally on the last lap of the race Sergio Perez pressured Charles Leclerc into a mistake. Now this had major implications because 30 seconds earlier Max Verstappen had crossed the line as the race winner. However Charles Leclerc did cross the line in second. The FIA uncharacteristically gave a very quick penalty to Charles Leclerc um, and it was the right decision in my opinion and Initially, some people thought this made Max Verstappen the world champion. However, some people didn't think it made Max Verstappen the world champion. So he was crown world champion, and then he wasn't, and then he was again, and then he wasn't again, and then eventually was crowned world champion based on the fact that they decided to award full points for the race. Nicely done, Joe. Well done for winning no breaks again. 
But let's be honest, whether or not he was going to be crown world champion in Japan, everyone knew he was going to be champion this year. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he's done a stellar job all year, hasn't he? Uh, him and Red Bull, they've yeah, been definitely. operationally brilliant. He's been the most consistent driver this year. Um, obviously, it's there's always going to be people that say, ah, oh, but car certain cars weren't as good. But you've got to have the whole package and deliver with that package as well and he's he's beaten Sergio Perez convincingly and Sergio Perez is no slouch behind the wheel of course we saw him win last time out so while he dropped off in the middle of the season he's still been putting in some decent performances and will probably finish in the top three in the championship anyway mm -hmm. so yeah Max has done incredibly well to win the championship with four races remaining that's 100 points well more than 100 points because, because we've got some sprint and fastest lap. sprint races yeah yeah so thoroughly deserved and like i said earlier in a, a more complex way that i should he's a, a double world champion like fernando alonso that beat and put an end to a seven world champions kind of reign unless Lewis Hamilton can come back. Something that Michael Schumacher didn't manage after Alonso had nailed it to him. So maybe the pattern will be after this double world championship from Max Verstappen Leclerc wins mm -hmm. next time out because it was a Ferrari winner, followed mm -hmm. by a McLaren winner or, from or Britain. is it an exceptional McLaren rookie coming in? No, in that will happen afterwards. Because no, surely that's next season. No, because remember, Raikkonen won in 2007 for Ferrari. Oh, yeah, no, you are correct. Nah. So maybe it's a young Brit or an exceptional... Young yeah, talent a, coming a, in in the McLaren. In his second season. In his season, second season, yeah. Followed by a win for Team Brackley. Maybe George Russell will win. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> let's not get bogged down by our, our incessant nerdiness for this sport <laughs> that we love so much. Because... Max Verstappen has done a fine job, mm -hmm. and that was a brilliant race that that was worthy of winning a, a world championship, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah, I think um, it sort of reminded me a bit of Turkey twenty twenty, where um, the sort of there what there couldn't have been a better drive to demonstrate exactly why they've won this championship yeah. in sort of the most challenging conditions you can face. You've got a lot of other people who are struggling um, and just one person who, no matter how hard the conditions are, makes it look easy um, and sh just demonstrates exactly why they're a class above the rest of the field. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's quite similar to that in that respect. To pull such a huge gap in such a short race, um, I know, obviously, there's big advantages to, you know, you've got the best car, you're already out front, so you're not dealing with the spray and all that, you know, there are reasons, but to pull a 27 second gap in a, in a, in about 30 minutes is incredible, really. Yeah. Congratulations, Max Verstappen, on title number two. While you might dispute 2021, mm -hmm. there is no arguing with this year. Right. We need to talk about something that happened during the race that Joe's already mentioned, and that was a tractor being on the racetrack mm -hmm. in Japan in torrential conditions. Last time that happened, we lost the life of an F1 driver, 
and Pierre Gazzi was metres away from the same thing happening to him, whether he was speeding or not. Thoughts on that, Joe? Um, so initially I will say that I think, you know, Pierre Gazzi was going too fast. However, that's sort of twofold in that I think a driver's going to drive as fast as they can, given what's allowed in the rules. Like, they're going to... He's catching up to the safety car. You're allowed to drive quickly to do that. You're allowed to sort of... As long as you keep the delta positive, you're allowed to do that. So you can't blame a racing driver for that. Um, And, okay, I think the penalty was fair if he was found speeding during that. However, that doesn't eliminate the fact that, like, no big piece of machinery or marshals should ever be on a live racetrack. And that's clearly the much bigger issue here. Like... No no one other than the 20 drivers in their 20 cars should ever be on a live racetrack. So I think that's that's the issue, and I think... But even behind the safety car, one of them could have aquaplaned and mm-hmm. taken someone out or yeah. gone under that track. I mean, I think it's, it's okay to, like, once everyone's bunched up behind the safety car, obviously there is, like, a, f- a couple of minutes where all the cars are over one side of the track... And, you know, that's... But obviously, it kind of does change a little bit in wet conditions. So, yeah, I think... Obviously, the biggest problem was the visibility. Like, if you watch the onboard from the car, you literally can't see anything that's more than a few metres away. Yeah, and that sort of thing happened in Abu Dhabi uh, to to clear away Nicholas Otipi's Mm -hmm. car. But the reality is that... The drivers were going slowly enough and they could see as far enough ahead to yeah. to avoid that sort of thing. So the drivers are all furious and that's not just the F1 drivers. That There's a lot of people in the racing community actually that are livid with the, the, the fact that the FIA either allowed a tractor to go on to that live racetrack or they don't have control over their racetracks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sticky situation that they find themselves in where either circumstance doesn't look great yeah and i I really hope that the fia don't think that it's a matter of the case being closed now that they've punished pierre gassi because that's really not the point Mm -hmm. pierre gassi was going to be closing up as fast as he could because is under safety car i think the red flag came out a second before he went past the tractor yeah so at the red flags point yes you slow down but he was never going to be able to react to that. I think in Formula E, they've got a good situation where all of the drivio, no, no, all the drivers receive a radio message from race control saying safety car mm-hmm. or red flag. So it's not relying on the teams to pass on the message. Yeah. And, and I, I don't understand why that's not a thing at the moment because yes you, you you're not expecting drivers to be able to reply but if if all of the drivers yes they have lights coming up on their thing but if they could be told more of a situation from race control for example they could have said right we are going to put a tractor onto the track at this bit so make sure you're mm. right below there and then bring it out it shouldn't be there i i agree that 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 tractor shouldn't be there but if they are going to go and do something that extreme or anything like that, the drivers should be made aware well before they actually take the action. Well, exactly, yeah. I think that's the the key thing is well before. I think it's, you know, I think you can do 
that kind of thing once all the drivers are grouped up behind the safety car. That, yeah, or in the pit lane. Yeah, exactly. You get, but it's that rush to get it on straight away. And I do think there needs to be like a whole sort of, you know, obviously we said the same thing after uh, Abu Dhabi 2021. Um, there kind of needs to be a review around the whole safety car procedure. Um, both, both from a sort of racing perspective, we also said the same after Monza this year. So from a, from like a, there's so many problems with it from like a racing perspective and from a safety perspective. Um, so I think there needs to be a sort of whole review into the system of, you know, how at, at what point certain things occur. So obviously the safety car has to come out. It should have to gather up all the cars and then you start clearing the track. Um, and obviously, we discussed in the the Monza podcast sort of the the implications that might have in the last sort of ten laps, where you might want to throw a red flag instead. Um, so yeah, I think basically the whole process needs to be reviewed, along with quite a few other sort of processes that they've got in Formula One, um, which we'll come on to later, I think. But yeah, I think there needs to be a big review about. And and just sort of like a, a sort of more strict procedure instead of chucking the safety car out and ma- and then making it up as you go along. There needs to be a, a set procedure that you follow. Yeah, because the more logical and the more well-known those procedures are, mm-hmm. the less danger there will be because everyone knows at least what should be going on. Yeah. The safety, the safety of drivers in any form of motorsport under their remit falls down to the FIA so yeah the FIA have a lot of work to do at the moment we know this what do you reckon the chances are that they're going to stick to um their new era under the new president of being very transparent (laughs) um I mean I don't think the reaction so far has been particularly transparent has it it's been quite deflective I guess defensive yeah of just it's always defensive mm-hmm. that's what it feels like it feels like a comms team under panic whether whether there is sort of a deeper sort of power struggle going on that we don't fully know obviously there's been several incidents this year where you know drivers have sort of almost resisted what the fia are doing whether that be uh Saudi Arabia with the the missile situation and the drivers always refusing to race. Obviously, there's the ongoing situation with Lewis Hamilton and his jewellery. Um, th- we had last year about um, the T-shirts that Lewis and Seb were wearing. Um, so there seems to be quite a lot of... Um, the, there's a lot of standoffs between the FIA and the drivers with the FIA possibly trying to enforce like rules that they've never enforced before while not taking seriously things that they really should be taking more seriously. So, yeah. You talk about power struggle. I think you're right in terms of the drivers in the FIA having a power struggle, and I'd love to see another fly on the wall Mm -hmm. of the drivers' briefing come the next race because they will be going off the handle. Is that a phrase, off the handle? Yeah. I believe the phrase is flying off the handle. They'll be flying off the handle as they as they make their voices heard on the safety of drivers when it comes to that. But also, I think that there's a there's a power struggle between Formula One itself and 
the FIA, and we talked about it on the last podcast, I bet behind closed doors, uh, like Stefano Domenicali, Ross Braun, etc., they are seething with the FIA and mm-hmm. Mohammed bin Sulayan. And I, they they can't get a press release like a joint press release together. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems almost impossible, and it's a forced, uncomfortable marriage that they've got because Liberty Media owns the rights to Formula One, but Formula One is not Formula One without the FIA because Max Mosley and Bernie Eccleston remember them. They did a deal back in the 80s or 90s to say that the FIA and Formula One would be in a partnership for 100 years. They agreed on that. So it's not like they can wait for a contract to run out in a few years' time. It's a power struggle that might get messy and Formula One can't really walk away. They need to try and make it work. How they're going to do that, I don't know. (sighs) But it's, it's interesting times and... It's uncomfortable times as a fan of Formula One because you see a sport that is becoming ever more popular and you're almost proud of that. But at the same time, it seems that every single time there's a race or the FIA do something, they put the integrity of the sport under question and risk it becoming even more of a laughingstock. And that's not something that any of us really want to see, is it, Joe? No, I mean, yeah, I think you've explained it quite well there. And it's like... I don't, I don't know where you go from there because obviously I do think the FIA is quite an important organisation in sort of the in, in, in sort of what they're supposed to be doing, but I don't think they are doing it well enough at the moment. Even, even like Max Verstappen, whether or not he was world champion or not, yeah, the FIA, the FIA didn't make that clear. Because they see their role as enforcing the rules, not making others aware mm-hmm. of the rules. So you you had Red Bull sitting, reading the rules for 10 minutes before they'd worked out that they'd won the World Championship. Yeah. It all just seems a little bit silly. We were talking about it and we didn't know whether we we still mm-hmm. had alcohol in our system from the night before. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it, it was a very confusing situation because obviously no one really knew about that the... Um that the rules they'd introduced after Spa last year only applied in a situation where the race was red flagged and couldn't continue. Obviously, at this race, we had a red flag, we continued and we finished in a checkered flag. If there's a checkered flag, apparently, it's always going to be four points, which, again, you know, it's... No, I'm not trying to take anything away from Max Verstappen here because in this case, I think, okay, it could possibly be okay, but... You are therefore potentially looking at a situation where we we do one lap at the start, red flag the race for three uh, for two hours and fifty minutes, have a lap under the safety car. You then could end up with a four points for a race that lasts about seven minutes. Um, Correct. Which you know is not right, is it? So I don't know what they were thinking when they wrote that rule. So it's just yeah, it's. And again, again, that's not to take away anything from Max Verstappen's victory this no. time because it is just about acceptable in this circumstance, I think. We, you know, we got a sort of 50-minute race as opposed to a normal one-and-a-half-hour race, but I still think it probably should have been half points if we were thinking about it logically, but yeah. And that's what everyone else thought. Mm-hmm. That's what Max Verstappen thought as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, I think... We could agree Max Verstappen, biggest winner, biggest loser, 
FIA or the Japanese fans, maybe, because they mm. didn't get to see much racing after. Yeah, I mean, as I say, what they got away. was all right. So I think that it, it ju- they just about saved it in the end. But yeah. But they had to sit through that rain. Mm-hmm. We could go back to bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a moment of the weekend that battle between Hamilton and Ocon. Yeah, that was good. Um, we unfortunately missed it live, but also Alonso and Vettel at the line. Um, finishing 0.011 seconds apart was pretty incredible um, so yeah that was a great moment um, Honourable mention are we got to give it to Nicholas Latifi Sebastian Vettel yeah they could both be or jo- also Sergio Perez for playing a brilliant role for the second year in a row and his teammates securing the world championship correct um, yeah. so I think you know the, mis- he- the ministry of offence <laughs> yeah yeah um, so yeah, I think all three of those. Also, Esteban Ocon in fourth, great. Show oh yeah, for, brilliant. Yeah, so yeah. quite yeah. a few drivers deserving an honourable mention there. And then AJ on the line lines of the week might come after we discuss the next topic. I think. Yeah, yeah, we'll discuss the next topic and then. Right. So we've not talked about the FIA and their incompetence for a while. So. <laughs> so what we might do is talk about the FIA and their incompetence. Well, we don't know. Are they incompetent? Yes, they are. And here's why. Um, last Wednesday, the, the Wednesday before the Japanese Grand Prix, the FIA were meant to come out and say, look, these are the teams that have complied with the cost cap in 2021. Yes, 2021, nine and a half months ago. It's a complicated thing, so it is going to take a while. But it seems silly that we're talking about whether teams were legal in a year or like in a season almost a year ago we could get our heads around that but for some reason even though everyone in the paddock knew the results of this hearing according to Toto Wolf um it would turn out that they were right uh, they kicked the can down the line till the Monday after the new world champion had been crowned to confirm what everyone in the paddock knew and that was that the teams who were compliant with the cost cap were Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, Alpha Tauri, Alpine. Alpha Romeo. Alpha Romeo. And who else? One more. Haas. Haas. Yep. And then Williams and Aston Martin had made a procedural error, but they were still underneath the, underneath the cost cap, so they hadn't breached it. And Rebel had done something procedurally wrong and also breached the cost cap in a minor way, minor being significant because it tells us that the amount that they breached it by was 5% or less, which could still be up to $7.3 million, so significant amount. So what's going to happen to Red Bull, given that they didn't win the Constructors' Championship, but they did win the Drivers' Championship on the last lap of the last race. So it was close in 2021, but this expenditure could go towards the 2021 championship but also towards developing the car for this season and of course we know that the car for this season the first of its generation leads on into the years following so if you have an advantage with your car as Red Bull happened to this season it's highly likely that they're going to maintain such an advantage in the years upcoming so what are the potential penalties for a minor breach, Joe? Well, we don't know, do we? Well, yeah, uh, that's, that's the I think point. that's that's the main point, is that for some 
unknown reason, Formula One has a rule book with rules in it, but no penalties. Like, just potential penalties. To, to, to specific incidents, which, if you ask me, is completely bonkers. Like, you should... You, you did well not to swear there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I I don't understand how you can have a rule but not have a defined penalty for it. I think it should be very clear what the penalty is should you go, you know, you should have a penalty where if you're 1% over the budget cap, this is your penalty. If you're between... Two and four percent over the budget cap. This is the penalty. If you're five plus percent over the the cap, this is your penalty. If you're fifty percent over the penalty cap, you're never allowed in F one again. So you know, it's I don't understand why we don't have these rules at all. I think I think to answer that question, Joe, the reason that we don't have a specific rule is to stop. Formula One teams weighing up whether it's worth breaching mm. the budget cap, taking the hit later on if it means that they can still be world champions, which would put the whole idea of a budget cap under threat. I, I understand that that's something that that's, we've still achieved. Yeah, I understand that that's like sort of a potential downside of that, but sort of having a little mystery box of penalties that you can get is like even worse. Like in my opinion, I don't... I, I agree with you, and I, in my opinion, the worst bit is that there's minor and major mm-hmm. in terms of the breaches. It's like when you're racing, we should do this with um, crossing white lines. You know how we used to get angry about cars crossing the white line the whole way and having track times deleted yeah. but only on certain corners? Mm-hmm. Well, if you put a wall there, then they wouldn't go anywhere near it. So if you said... Look, you and your drivers get all your points taken off you if you go even just one dollar over the line, then none of them would go anywhere near it. None of them would take the mick. Yeah. Would they? No, it's true. And so they've left themselves vulnerable, the FIA being they, by by allowing this to be the case. Uh the other the other thing that they've done in their statement is that they've said that Red Bull have done this but they've not specified any details as to how much they've done this yeah so they really it have could, left it, Red Bull know, out could, to dry it could literally be one dollar we we don't and as know. a result you've got Red Bull denying it in public and you've got Twitter and other forms of social media flying around with all sorts of rumors about how much and different figures but nobody actually knows mm-hmm. Other than Red Bull and the FIA, what is concerning, I suppose, is how that confidential information has been leaked in the first place. Yeah. Someone in the FIA has told people outside of the FIA, and that's how German and Italian media got hold of it. But yeah, it. Yes, it's the first year, but um, I guess well, we we were talking about it yesterday. I think we both agreed, Joe, that. If Red Bull are not punished significantly for this, mm-hmm. then it basically heralds the end of the cost cap. Yeah, I mean, you you have to have significant punishments for a rule, otherwise it's not really a rule, is it? If they if they punish it with a fine, then it's like, what is the point? Yeah, that's just a bit. It, it doesn't seem a fitting punishment. Um, and if they even if they take a hundred points off Red Bull for twenty twenty one, it won't actually change 
nah. the championship nah. results. So, so yeah. So I mean, it's it's difficult to say whether they should penalise drivers or not. I think historically, the sort of historic punishments would suggest that's not going to be the case. Considering in Spygate, they didn't punish the drivers. Fernando Alonso still has his two thousand and eight Singapore win. Um, However. However, if the team make a mistake in an unsafe release, it's the driver that incurs the drive-through it penalty. Is, it is, but I'm saying in sort of big, you know, in Spygate, Crashgate, big scandals, yeah. historically, we haven't punished the drivers before. So um, I'm not entirely sure whether that's fair or not, um, considering if you're, is, I, drivers do benefit from this, clearly. I know that... Um, it's clear that we are we're Hamilton fans, it's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah. But if you are if you are Lewis Hamilton, having spent a winter considering whether or not it's a fair sport that you race in, how are you feeling if it comes out that Red Bull have overspent knowing that a a hundred thousand dollars could have given him an aerodynamic upgrade in the middle of the season that could have given him tents? in each of the qualifying sessions, potentially changing the way that the championship mm-hmm. played out. Yeah, well, considering it's such a small amount of point that's on the line, I think, you know, obviously you are. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, you know, arguing that the reason Red Bull have overspent has been um, sort of catering and sick pay costs. But the fact remains that just because you've overspent on those, it still means that you've overspent on... Aero because other teams, instead of doing what Red Bull have done, will have cut back on their aero to factor in those sort of catering costs. Yeah. Which is what you have to do. You can't spend that money on the aero and then go, oh no, this other thing's gone over. So, but yeah. It's not impacting the car directly, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. And we'll get around it. Yeah. And the, the other thing that you've got to remember is there's only three teams that can possibly go over. The budget, and that's Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. They they are the only mm-hmm. ones that have the money to do that. So it's it's not like you can say, oh well, next year all the other teams can go over the budget by the same amount as Red Bull, just to make it difference. Unless Red Bull are going to pay. I quite like this idea of Red Bull paying all of the other teams that can't possibly reach up that much, <laughs> like giving them the money yeah. to be able to reach the same amount of budget that they did. I mean. It's hard to say what I think's going to happen because I can say what I think should happen. Okay, how about this? Do you think that we'll actually find out what happened? Um, I mean, in this I won't transparent say it, it, era it wouldn't surpri- of the FIA, it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't. I'll say that, but yeah, <sighs> um, I think there has to be some punishment with relation to car development. If you know, I think that has to be the case. Whether it will be, I, I have no idea, but they've gained an advantage. Okay, you're not going to penalise the drivers for the championship. Any penalty on the Constructors' Championships, unless it's a, a literal complete disqualification and therefore forfeit of the prize money as well from the Constructors' Championship. It's only about £10 million. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think there has to be some kind of penalty on wind tunnel testing practice, something that is actually gonna hurt the car yeah and and the development mm-hmm. yeah 
I think I think you're right. Like for example, like I've said it before, just Red Bull aren't allowed to do Friday practices mm-hmm. for the whole of next season. That to me seems like a sensible thing, and I I think that Ferrari are pushing for that, from what I understand, and Mercedes are pushing for the 2021 drivers championship. Both of them are not taking it lying down, and that's a key thing, isn't it? If they're being passive about it. Red Bull will get away with it, but they're not going to. Yeah. They're going to be pushing. And you, you sense that maybe the FIA wanted the Drivers' Championship to be all tied up in Japan before they announced this so that the rest of the season, which will be dominated by politics off the track, one would think, in terms of the news, mm-hmm. as well as some gloves off racing for pride, which we're looking forward to. Uh, yeah, it doesn't dis. dis- distract from Max Verstappen winning a worthy world championship albeit in a car that's potentially had more money than other teams in terms of developing the car yeah it's 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 a different it's a difficult world that we live in as F1 fans so thank you to the FIA for that one uh yeah and do you I can't well there's not going to be a situation where all teams come out happy and the difficulty also I guess is the political struggle between Red Bull and the other teams and the FIA because Red Bull they own 20% of the grid yeah I mean so if they threaten just leave and they leave I mean might be worth the FIA permitting a few other teams to come in which they don't seem to be doing it leaves me speechless <laughs> Uh, which is an unusual thing for me, <laughs> it must be said. So do you have anything more to add, Joe, on the current state of affairs in Formula 1 right now? Um, I'm basically still exactly where I was at the end of the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and I think the whole rule book still needs looking at. It needs to be, you know, with regards to everything. I think there has to be a systemic sort of change where rules are looked at to see a how sensible they are and b they have to be more clearly defined than they are right now i think that's that's the biggest problem f1's got at the moment is that everything is just so vague they they and complicated yeah they they show up and go well we'll see what happens and something happens and they go well we'll give them this penalty or uh well we'll do this and it's like it's just not good enough a lot a lot of it could be solved by doing what michael massey did at the end of each race and holding a press conference to say exactly why he made each of or he and the stewards made Mm -hmm. exactly the decision that they did yeah and you wonder whether the the whole abu dhabi gate sort of thing has meant that the fia we go back to what we said at the start are so on the defensive foot that they wouldn't want a press conference taking yeah. place because that that's evidence that someone has an opinion mm-hmm. on something and it could lead to a legal dispute further down the line yeah and yeah that that defensive nature it really doesn't help anything so yeah i i think michael massey was the scapegoat for what went on like he didn't make the right decision at the time in abu dhabi I think I said this at, at the time. He didn't make the right decision, but there are systemic problems still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the other point that we should probably finish on is that Max Verstappen will be receiving a lot of questions over his world championship. Let's be clear, none of 
the cost spending was up to him. If Red Bull chose to spend too much money, it's not his fault. Yeah. He's still driven the best he could drive in the car that he was given, and he would just have to trust the team that he's got. And if if his team have... Well, there's no other word for it. If they've cheated, he's not the cheat. It's his team. Yeah, of course. So, so he shouldn't be receiving criticism. Um, I think that that is an important thing that the, you should note. Not, not you specifically, Joe. <laughs> I know that you're. I know that you're not wielding your, your, your Twitter fingers, um, and turning them into trigger fingers. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, where that's going. I don't know. I think I was quoting Drake, which I'm not sure you're <laughs> not particularly impressed by. Maybe that's a good time to, to end. Um, I really do appreciate our conversation, Joe. It's been insightful and it's been more enlightening than anything that the FIA have released in a statement all year. Um, so thank you for that. And hopefully I'm going to speak to you and Jimmy very soon. But for now i appreciate your time and i appreciate every single one of you that have listened to this and these podcasts so far we'll be back though i'm sure have a good few days I don't, how, when is the u.s grand prix in just under two weeks it's gotta be yeah it's gotta be under two weeks i doubt so. yeah so there you go <laughs> we'll speak to y'all then oh god <laughs>